Hey, podcast fans. Since you love Why Are You Laughing, that means you enjoy both comedy and history, which is why we think you'll love our show. It's called Midnight Facts for Insomniacs and features weekly deep dives into a variety of topics. It also features us, comedians and lifelong friends Shane Rogers and Duncan McEwen. So whether you're nocturnal, sleep-deprived, or just a fan of laughing and learning, we'll keep you entertained with more than 130 episodes covering everything from astrology to pirates to the history of personality tests. Just search for Midnight Facts in any podcast player to join the Midnight Masses. You know, I'm going to give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> start laughing! And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty-ass jokes on my ass, too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to Why Are You Laughing? A History of Comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you the legendary Charlie Chaplin, one of the godfathers of comedy. Um, I hope you guys, uh, if you didn't read the title of the episode, I hope you stick around because I feel like some of my favorite episodes of this show are ones I went in, um, you know, older people that I didn't necessarily know as much about. Uh, particularly I'm thinking of Lenny Bruce, Three Stooges, and Jackie Gleason are uh, stand out as three of my favorite episodes to do, but uh, some of the least popular. I feel like because people have no connection to them, really, from, you know, modern times, so they don't really give a fuck, but I, I, I genuinely think it's worth um, listening and learning, even if you're not that interested in the person. But I will say, uh, I've gotten a lot of people reach out to me and say, do a Charlie Chaplin episode. So I hope people are into this one because I think he's a fascinating character. Um, I watched the movie after I did my prep, see if there were any stories I should look into that I missed. And I'll say it wasn't as much of a um, puff piece, the movie starring Robert Downey Jr., that they made about Charlie Chaplin. It's not so much that they, they mention everything. And I guess it's kind of on the viewer to be like, what's that now? He did what? Because <laughs> <laughs> they move on pretty quickly from some of it. So uh, that's the stuff we'll be looking at most. Um, you know, the guy was mostly worked in the silent film era. So it's not that we'll be playing so much of his clips. This will be a little more, uh, tawdry and detailed in some of our other episodes. Uh, but that's what I'm fascinated by from his life. So uh, we will get into all of it right after I tell you. And remember, you can fast forward if you so choose. Uh, but I do want to remind you guys to go to blindmike.net because that's the best way to support the show. Uh, you can find our YouTube there. If you check out our YouTube, by the way, um, all of the Why You Laughing shorts are up there. They are condensed versions of these episodes. Um, we only have a few up so far, like I think the Joe Rogan versus Carlos Mencia, Artie Lang, uh, Rickles on Carson, Conan and Leno, I think are the first four up there. Um, so uh, check those out if, uh, if that interests you. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously these episodes come out every Thursday on YouTube as well as uh, the Blind Mike Project and all that good stuff. Uh, support the show on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts. And then if you decide that you like the show, want to throw a few bucks behind us, then join the Patreon because what you get there is bonus episodes, a couple bonus episodes every single month, as well as these episodes, uh, at least a week early, 
Um, you got the Joe DeRosa versus Anthony Cumia bonus episode is a recent one that we did. Um, we, uh, we have the Dat Fan, uh, <laughs> the Rise and Fall of Dat Fan episode going up next week. So that'll be up on the Patreon early. So if you want to check those out, subscribe to the Patreon if you'd be so kind. And uh, all of that is blindmike.net. So go to blindmike.net to check that out. New merch as well. So oh, that's it. All right. Yeah. Uh, how aware are you of you? How aware are you of Charlie Chaplin, Craig? Um, I don't know much about him personally, but I think everyone that's to some level knows who he is. I, I, I think that's probably the case with a lot of people listening is that, of course, of course, you know the name. Of course, you know him as one of the forefathers of comedy, I would say, along with um, the Three Stooges and maybe, you know, Laurel and Hardy and um, people like that in the, in the very early days. Uh, but like a lot, he's a, he's a fascinating subject, and I like covering these old guys because they always have grittier origin stories than a lot of the people coming up now. Mm-hmm. You know, like pretty, pretty much everyone will be like, ah, you know, they didn't really know their dad or they had a weird relationship with their mom. But then when you talk to about guys from the early 1900s it's like yeah yeah they had to work in a coal mine because dad left and then they went off to war at 14 and you're like oh jesus good <laughs> god <laughs> it, it really does uh it gives you perspective on the times times we live in now and how much has changed in the last hundred years so charlie chaplin uh being born in the late 1800s dealt with a lot of that life um his parental upbringing was uh, checkered at best, shall we say. So let's start off by hearing a little, bit, a, a little bit about his dad. By the end of the 19th century, Charles Chaplin Sr. was one of the hottest talents on the British stage. A comic singer, Chaplin Sr.'s star was rising even as he was settling down with his wife and fellow vaudeville star Hannah Chaplin. In 1889, the pair welcomed a child who they named Charlie Chaplin Jr., The young Charlie's life was anything but easy, however. When he was just one, his father walked out on the family, taking their means of support with him. Hannah and Charlie were plunged into grinding poverty, which Chaplin Sr. did nothing to alleviate. At the height of his fame, Chaplin Sr. was arrested for failing to provide for both Charlie and his other son, Sidney. Drinking was also a serious problem among vaudeville stars in the 1890s, and Charles Chaplin was a booze hound like no other. By the time Charlie was 12, his father was dead, killed by his addiction to the bottle. Yeah, so his family was in entertainment, and that's kind of how he got into it. And it's it's interesting just to hear, you know, ignorantly, we probably think of, or I know at least I do, if you think of like, you know, vaudeville and borscht belt and all that old stuff, it seems so much classier than it is today. And that's mm-hmm. almost the ruse. It's the ruse that Cosby pulled on all of us for so long, where it's like, Oh, his comedy's clean, so he must be living a clean lifestyle. You don't realize the debauchery that's going on behind the scenes. Yeah. And so that, that's what was happening with a lot of these vaudeville acts, Charles Chaplin Sr. Uh, being one of them. And uh, they, they said that it seemed like um, the, the father died when Charlie was uh, about 12 years old, I think. And they said it seemed like he would kind of struggle. He'd be conflicted. Like he would want to be part of his kid's He'd have, you know, crisis of conscience where he'd want to be part of his kids' lives and show back up for a minute and then disappear again. Um, and and so uh, it's definitely a place where Charlie got a lot of his issues probably um, to certain commitments later in life. 
Um, but the mother was no prize either. She had her own bag of issues. Is that our next clip? Yeah, I feel like there's a theme too with the um, people from this era that their family is some sort of touring act of some kind that leads to them uh, doing well, it. That, as well. Yeah, that's true too. It's weird they they all get into showbiz because it's uh, Jerry Lewis was like that too, right? Yeah. Where they, they get into showbiz because they were an eight-year-old that their parents used as a prop in some way. Right. Um, but yeah, that's similar to this story with his mother. Always fascinated by his mother's vaudeville career, Chaplin was mimicking her routines by the age of five. And although he would soon take to the stage himself, the circumstances were anything but happy. Charlie's first performance took place during one of Hannah Chaplin's shows. He was watching from the wings when halfway through a song, his mother lost her voice. The stage manager panicked and shoved Charlie out. He then proceeded to stun the audience with his own routine. In a kinder world, this moment might have marked the beginning of better times for the Chaplins. Instead, it was the beginning of their nightmare. It quickly became clear that Hannah's vocal issue was merely the first outward sign of her rapidly declining mental health. As she and the children continued on in poverty, Hannah drifted further from reality. Eventually, she was institutionalized, and Charlie and his brother were thrown into a workhouse. Charles Chaplin Sr. was still alive at the time and briefly agreed to take the boys in, but it didn't last. Charlie wound up spending so much of his childhood in the workhouse that he only ever received six months' worth of schooling. Yeah, so he was he was in the workforce by, you know, 12, 13 years old, whatever it was. And uh, he had a he had a litany of jobs. Like he he did every odd job that he could back in that time just to make ends meet. And it's weird, you know, almost uh, sitcomish to think of a kid at that age supporting his family now. But I think in, in impoverished families at that time, it was uh, fairly common for the, the boy of the family to have to become the man kind of. Um, the other thing that stood out to me from that is kind of, it's funny because the way they phrase it, it's almost like his mother's one talent was singing. So when she couldn't sing, they were like, ah, you batty dame, get in a cage, get out of here. <laughs> I was going to say she lost, she lost her voice because of mental health. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's weird how they phrase it, but, um, I think, I think what they're saying is that the losing of the voice caused sort of a, a breakdown and, um, she was a bit of a the, the town whore at the time as well. I think um, Charlie's brother is only his half brother. Um, there, I think that the, they said that the father left because of some infidelity or something like that. So, uh, you know, in the in the late eighteen hundreds, if a, a, a loose woman that was as bad as rape in in modern times, I think. So yeah. they would they would they would do what they could to put you away if they saw something like that happening. It was still scarlet letter times back then. If yeah, if you so much as uh, kiss a, 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 an unmarried gentleman, <laughs> it's uh, off to the off to the wood chipper with you. <laughs> but uh yeah, so Charlie obviously had a rough upbringing. Like I said, that's pretty common for comedians. You know, we we said about Steve Martin where he almost wore his childhood trauma as like a badge of pride or as credentials to be a comedian. Cause he's like, Hey, listen, you might look at me and think like I have it all together, but I did have a fucked up childhood, which is what brought me here, <laughs> you know? So for you, uh, for you parents out there, just remember, don't love your kids too much. If you want them to be a, a decent comic, you Maybe know, put a couple cigarettes out on them. Yeah. 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 Some, some fun stuff <laughs> like that. Make it playful. <laughs> all right. What's next? Uh, early work. Uh, okay, let's hear about it. One of Charlie's childhood friends, Effie Wisdom, recalled what Charlie's life was like back then. On, My aunt used to feed. I just love the I, I love the old names. 
Effie. Ah, old Effie wizard, wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. Try, Charlie Stig got right into the entertainment. As you heard, um, you know, he, he filled in for his mother at a very young age. But yeah, he, he got into entertainment pretty quickly after that. Yeah, it was back when they were just making up last names at Ellis Island. <laughs> like, ah, wisdom. <laughs> yeah, right, right. One of Charlie's childhood friends, Effie Wisdom, recalled what Charlie's life was like back then. My aunt used to feed him because there was no social security in those days. No free milk, no children's allowances, nothing. You never starved, and yet you were on the breadline, she said. Charlie spent most of his childhood as a clog dancer while he went in and out of charity homes. Poverty was a big part of his childhood, so he got his first acting job at the age of 14 to try to make a living. I was hardly aware of a crisis because we lived in a continual crisis, and being a boy, I dismissed our troubles with gracious forgetfulness, Charlie said. It's so interesting now when you think of kids growing up with TikTok and YouTube, which are legitimate, um, you, you know, essentially having a YouTube channel now is the equivalent of being on CBS in 1978. Right. Now, what you do with that, sure, you can be on YouTube and have zero views. That's the big difference. But it is a platform where you are able to reach a massive audience. Um, so you, you, you know, and we're in a much more privileged era than they were growing up in a hundred years ago. So I think kids coming up and now that want to be in entertainment have room to grow and figure out what they want to do and try and fail at things. Whereas you hear the, the origins, a lot of these guys like Charlie Chaplin's literally taking jobs in entertainment. He wants to be in entertainment, but he also has to, he has to put food on the table. Like this is his job and he has to take opportunities that he can, not that he feel, you know, suits him as a performer necessarily. So these are the big things I think these guys were dealing with at the time. Um, Like we talked about with Rodney Dangerfield being a singing waiter, you know? Right. I don't know that Rodney from the the little, I know him just from his uh, public persona. I don't know that he ever said, you know what I should do? is uh, the gift of song. I should give that to customers at a restaurant. But he said this is a, a gig that pays the bills, so I got to do it if I want to perform. Yeah, didn't uh, didn't Lenny Bruce sell like metal siding <laughs> for houses or something? Was that him? Uh, well, Rodney sold aluminum siding. Oh, it was, I, it was Rodney I, also. I think Lenny Bruce probably had a bunch of different jobs as well. But yeah. I, can't, I can't remember. I'd have to go back and check our archives. But you guys do that yourself. Findmike.net. That's right. Uh, next we have uh, is acting success. Um, okay. I'm tr- oh, um, yeah, well, we'll get into it after we play the clip. As a news vendor, printer, toy maker, doctor's boy, etc. But during these occupational digressions, I never lost sight of my ultimate aim to become an actor, Chaplin remembered. So between jobs, I would polish my shoes, brush my clothes, put on a clean collar, and make periodic calls at a theatrical agency. Charlie was mainly taking part in solo burlesque acts before he joined the famous comedy troupe that was run by Fred Carno. Charlie's brother, Sidney, managed to get Charlie a place in the troupe, despite how suspicious Carno was of Charlie. Little did he know that Charlie Chaplin's talents should be doubted. Soon enough, he even secured his place as a lead performer. This went on for a while before Charlie decided it was finally time to start acting in films. It wasn't until his second movie that he got all the fame he deserved. The movie was Mabel's Strange Predicament, where the most iconic role of his life was born. The Tramp was a hilarious character with ill-fitting clothes, the baggy pants, and the small hat that are still iconic to this day. Yeah, so if you know what Charlie Chaplin looks like, if you're familiar with him at all, that's what you know him as, pretty much, as the Tramp. That was his Big iconic character. Also, that's what popped in my mind right before he played that, is that um, in that uh, acting troupe, uh, was it Fred Carno, they said? Mm-hmm. 
um, that's where he met uh, Stan Laurel, where there was a letter that went up for auction uh, a few years ago where Stan Laurel was writing someone talking about like what a cheap fuck uh, Charlie Chaplin is. I never tips and stuff. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> Those are my favorites. When you find uh, old letters when in reality, it's probably just, you know, a buddy, one buddy talking shit about another, but it is funny to kind of see it now. Also, it's a tremendous breach of privacy that we never should see, but it is fun. Yeah. Plus he, he got, he did get uh, absolutely cucked with the mustache. It was taken over by a ruthless dictator. <laughs> I know, left us such a such a bad taste in our mouths. But uh, but that that tramp getup, he said, was uh, very strategic. He wanted everything to be, you know, a contradiction where it was all ill fitting, and the mustache was uh, ridiculous. And uh, who knew that you know the great Führer would say that's eh, that's not so bad. Let me. I like the look. Yeah. <laughs> also, like Hitler, uh, Charlie Chaplin was on Time Magazine. He was, the, I believe, the first actor ever to be on the cover of Time Magazine. So they have that in common as well. Wow. Probably just as well, some other things we'll get into. But. Mere years apart from each other. <laughs> I know. I know. Two ships in the night. <laughs> uh, next, we have uh, this guy talking about the tramp. Oh, OK. We'll hear a little bit more about his uh, famous character. On February the 7th, 1914, the Tramps' second Keystone picture, Kid Auto Races at Venice, beat Mabel's strange predicament in theaters. It was an instant hit. You can clearly see the effect the Tramp had on Chaplin's career. Over 1914, Chaplin made 32 more films for Keystone. When his contract ran out in December, a bidding war erupted that made Senate's initial offer of $150 a week look pitiful. SNA Studios offered Chaplin $1,250 a week plus a $10,000 signing bonus. Not being an idiot, Chaplin said yes. The next few years saw Chaplin's star go supernova. At SNA, he rebooted The Little Tramp in 1915's the Tramp, making the character more sweet-natured. The new approach was so successful that Mutual Films poached Chaplin from SNA with an offer of $10,000 a week. At age 26, Damn. Chaplin was now the highest-paid actor in all of Hollywood. Yeah, so I think the movie tries to... That's why I did my research first, so I could see if the movie mentioned anything I didn't know, but also see how they portrayed it. I think the movie tries to make it seem a little more like... You're never going to make it in this town, Chaplin. <laughs> when in reality, he was massively successful by his mid-20s. Right. So I don't know. how. I mean, now the guy started working at 12 years old. So that's still a long time of, of struggling and scraping by. But making 10 grand just, a week now is incredible. In 1914, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I, I'm sorry if I'm spoiling a clip we have already, but um, he, he died with... I believe fifty million dollars in the seventies, which translate to about translates to about two hundred million dollars today. Um, so for an actor, he's massively successful. And I think we'll hear why he was so successful. So don't forget, the Three Stooges owned nothing. These were the whipping boys of right. Harry Cohn at this time. Um, you know, they were basically they they weren't smart enough to understand which direction the business was going or, uh, or how valuable they were. They weren't confident enough it, uh, to know their value. Charlie was confident enough. And if people told him um, they didn't like what he was doing, he would either push back or find somewhere where he was able to do that. So that's a big part of what led to his future success. 
Yeah, he kind of led the way too for the uh, the Three Stooges, and then <laughs> everyone in the studios were like, "Well, if he owns it, he gets all the money. How about we just take it?" <laughs> right, right, right. Well, what's interesting about Charlie Chaplin and and that time is, it's to me now it's hard to say one of the most impressive because it came first. Um, so yes, he broke down barriers for a lot of other guys and led to uh, what a lot of the other people would copy and imitate and be influenced by in the future. But it's, it's also, it was, there was no competition in the sense that you didn't have 50 other versions of comedy. You know, you didn't have uh, Monty Python versus the vacation movies versus Saturday night live versus, you know what I mean? Like all these different avenues you could go down for content and comedy that didn't exist at the time. Um, but he definitely well, he definitely did influence a lot of people, obviously. Yeah. Um, and next we have uh, the new studio. Yeah, so this is this is what I was referring to. This is when a light bulb went off in old Chuck's head where he said, sure, I'm the highest paid guy now, highest paid guy now, but how do I set the market? At the end of 1917, Chaplin terminated his mutual contract. He built his own studio, signing a deal with First National to release his pictures without any interference. Not yet 30, Chaplin was now the most famous movie star in America. You don't hear a lot of that now. I was impressed that Jerry Lewis had as much control as he did in the 50s and 60s. Right. And that, you know, so 30, 40 years later. Um, But now you, you never see that. And I think some of that is why the industry is failing now is, is greed. I shouldn't say failing, but like you're seeing, you know, networks and things start to go away. And I think that's because there's no, there's no relationship between, you know, uh, content and business. They, they were never able to navigate that. And what happens with, you know, I, I keep saying CBS. So let's just use that as the example. CBS brought in um, Tom Segura and Christina Pajitsky a few years ago to um, write a sitcom pilot. Now, whether you're a fan of them or not, they're much different than what you usually see right. from a CBS sitcom. Right. Never made it to air. We never heard of it. Now, maybe it stunk. Maybe it was terrible. Whatever. Maybe it didn't fit what they what they wanted or what they thought it would be. But my suspicion is you have 14 different people between the people that put it on the air and Tom and Christina that are just giving notes to justify their job. And so that shit's never going to happen. It's it's either never going to get on air or it's going to be a completely watered down product that their fans have no interest in. Right. Or you could just go the route of Gillian Keeves, make sketches on your own, do them exactly how you want them to. And they're better than any television sketch comedy show has put out since Chappelle's show. So, you know, I think networks would get greedy and they would see what Charlie Chaplin did and guys like that. And so we can't allow that. We can't allow them to have complete control and reap all the benefits. We want some of those benefits. And they weren't self-aware enough to realize like, oh, we shouldn't be making those decisions. Probably. That's not our forte. It's always the suits, man. Um, you, you said it, buddy. Uh, we have uh, the Great Depression, which is just to give you an idea how old this guy is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Charlie probably he's, he's got to be thirty going into the going into his thirties in the Great Depression era. Um, and you know you you probably heard this now, 
um, through the pandemic and things like what, what booms in a recession? Entertainment is one of those things that uh, really pops because people need a distraction. And Charlie uh, saw some of that. But while the advent of talkies was ruinous for most silent stars, the Great Depression gave Chaplin's work a sudden urgency. For Jazz Age audiences, a tramp with a heart of gold was as exotic as superheroes are to us today. For filmgoers in the 1930s, he was the exact tonic they needed. Despite being a silent anachronism when it appeared in 1931, City Lights was a standout success. Not that Champlin enjoyed the accolade. Seemingly depressed by the way the world and his art form were going, he left the States in 1931 and embarked on a world tour. During this time, the actor met everyone, from Albert Einstein to Mahatma Gandhi. But it was what Champlin witnessed in Europe that concerns us today. The rise of automation and nationalism was fraying the continent at the edges. When Champlin returned to Hollywood in July of 1932, he was obsessed with doing something about these twin evils. On one level, that meant starting work on modern times. Times' 1936 satire of capitalism. On another, it meant leaning towards politics for the first time in his life. And this meant becoming openly sympathetic towards communism. All right. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, we're getting there, buddy. Slow your roll. Here we go. We're going the Lucille Ball route. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> uh, Charlie stepped into some hot waters. But, and believe me, it's, it's the least of his worries. Should have been uh, <laughs> communism. <laughs> but I want to focus on the beginning of that clip first. And uh, if you're not familiar with the term talkies, uh, that is essentially just what we know now as all film and television. Just things that talking was heard. Basically non-silent films. Mm. And what I found interesting about this, I guess it never really dawned on me. I thought it was just kind of a natural progression. Like, oh, they didn't have the capability of sound back then i didn't realize um that charlie chaplin kind of looked at it as hey i've got worldwide appeal with these silent films most of the world doesn't speak english and even more of the world even if they do speak english is capable of speaking another language so why would i limit my audience by speaking in any one language it doesn't make sense to me when i have these silent films and i can entertain the masses I didn't realize that people looked at talkies or, or just, you know, talking on film as a fad. And they were like, that's never going to last. No <laughs> way. So even like when we sound like idiots, you know, you can play clips from a few years ago of people being like, ah, TikTok's going to last a week and a half. No chance it sticks around. And, you know, now it's what kids spend most of their time on. Mm -hmm. That's literally what they were saying about entertainment where the person speaks a hundred years ago. <laughs> no shot that people want to hear someone talk. He, d he does bring up a great point though, with What's the, uh, the language barriers that I, I thought that was a really interesting point. Um, that they, that's part of the movie as well, where Robert Downey Jr. Says you're forgetting about 90% of the world that can consume me. Um, but what I find even more interesting than that, more than just appealing to, um, you know, audiences around the globe, to me, it's the the talent it takes to convey comedy. Because people will talk about Charlie Chaplin like he the the way we would talk about Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., Brian Regan, whoever. Where like you know they're getting side splitting laughter from a guy who never talked right until later in his career. Um, that's what's that's what's unbelievable. Because even you talk about slapstick comedy with the Three Stooges, that's timeless. 
you know, a, ra- a properly timed uh, rake to the face will still make you laugh today. But a guy, you know, I, people, the one people reference all the time is Sebastian Maniscalco, where it's like, oh, it's so visual. The, the, you know, that's probably why I can't appreciate him as much. Like, you got to see his mannerisms. And it's like, oh, that's great. That's an incredible talent that he's able to convey, you know, through nonverbal cues, get you to laugh. But imagine if you took the microphone away from Sebastian Maniscalco. Is he going to mime his Italian mother stirring a sauce and that's going to be the same laughs? I don't think so. So that's the crazy difficult thing, you know? It might be funnier actually that way. It's and as I'm saying it, I'm not opposed to it, but <laughs> I, I want to try that. Let's bring the old times back, baby. <laughs> they also did used to call, uh, I think, uh, the silent films flicker shows, as I found out in the Green Mile movie. Oh, uh, yes, yes. Well, that and that's what everyone said. Hey, silent films are here to stay. These kids with their their talking motion pictures that's junk. <laughs> the talkies that's, that's gonna last maybe a year and a half. That is such a 30s word, talkies. It's it's it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, how are you communicating that point that they're a fad? You're talking. <laughs> how do you possibly think that this is a fad? But of course, <laughs> I didn't grow up in that time. So I'm sure right. I would have been one of the people like, ah, no chance. You're like, God, you're like, oh, it's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, someone's speaking to me. Great. <laughs> um, next is uh, more on communism. Yeah. So. But uh, by the way, just so you know, uh, it's not the, the, the communism isn't the controversy I was referring to. That, no, it gets worse. Communism makes Charlie seem like a big teddy bear <laughs> based on some of the other stuff. But it is what uh, got the eye of uh, J. Edgar Hoover and other high powered types. By the way, speaking of high powered, another thing we heard in that last clip was that he, you know, brushed elbows with the likes of Albert Einstein and Gandhi. Um, he really rose to a level of fame that transcended comedy at that time. Because again, I'll keep using the three stooges as his counterpart of their era. They were viewed as schmucks. They never got any respect. Whereas Charlie really was like one of the, you know, highest powered guys um, ever. And I think it's, he's an example of what's interesting about today with podcasts and just being so accessible to your fans it would be very difficult for a guy who wasn't, we'll hear Charlie talk a little bit at the end. And he himself says, I don't know that I'm a funny guy. I'm able to convey comedy. Whereas that's, that's very difficult now to be, you know, you'd almost have to be someone who's able to be completely, off the map and still do their stuff. I'm not saying he's not a funny guy off stage, but like a Dave Attell who just doesn't have a podcast, doesn't have social media, any of that stuff. You have to have such a reputation like a guy like that in order to not be totally accessible to your fans all the time. But back then you, you were very capable of being an introverted, you know, curmudgeon that only cares about work and might not be the pleasant, most pleasant guy to interact with but still have the, the, you know, reputation as a, a funny, wacky, silly guy. And only if it Jerry ended, Lewis is another one. Yep. And, and only if it, his controversies ended here, but let's dive further. Yeah. Well, yeah you'll, you'll, you'll <laughs> and no matter your political beliefs, you'll think Jerry or uh, Charlie, uh, just end it there. That's it. That's controversial enough for us. <laughs> You're a bad boy enough. 
After the attack on Pearl Harbor dragged the U.S. into World War II, Chaplin became a professional agitator for the Red Army. At an ill-advised speech in New York, he called Stalin's purges a wonderful thing and followed up by saying, the only people who objected to communism are the Nazi agents in this country. In the context of a war in which the U.S. was allied with the USSR, these comments may have seemed justifiable. But for those who already suspected Chaplin of anti-Americanism, this it was just fuel for the fire. Yeah, so the movie Chaplin made it seem like he was not a communist. Mm-hmm. And and the only, like, you know, there were, I guess, rumors that he was Jewish because his brother was uh, half Jewish. And so there was confusion there. So people would, you know, make those accusations. Um, but the communism thing, like I said, the movie makes it seem like, eh, no big deal. Based on all the research, he was a communist and was trying to uh, get a lot of capitalist messages in his movies, uh, the great dictator and things like that. And again, in the movie, they're like, they kind of gloss over and make it seem like the bad guys like J. Edgar Hoover are spinning it so that he's talking about America in these films. But by all indications, he is talking about America. So uh, that's where I'm a little confused. Lucille Ball, I genuinely believe, at least wasn't like an active, politically active communist who was trying to change a lot of minds. She's listening to her husband. Yeah, yeah. That's how they did it in that time, you know? Yeah. She's just a, a dizzy dame. <laughs> but, but it's funny, cause it's so insulting because Lucille Ball had as much power in Hollywood as Charlie Chaplin did That's at a certain oh, yeah. point. At one point, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, Charlie, I do think, was more invested in some of those messages and would certainly try to get it out in entertainment. Now, make no mistake, my opinion on it is he should be able to give those opinions in film if he wants to. Um, it ruined Dalton Trumbo. I've been, mentioned Dalton Trumbo a few times in the past. Another uh, very good movie starring Brian Cranston. Um, and he had to work under aliases and things like that. Um you know, and the, the movie depicts he had this whole system where people would call and ask for, you know, Bob Cobb and that Bob Cobb would get the writing credit, even though everyone in Hollywood pretty much knew that this was Dalton Trumbo writing these movies. Um, so he got none of it, none of the accolades and they were able to pay him very little. Whereas Charlie Chaplin had enough success and people were specifically looking for Charlie Chaplin vehicles and the Tramp character was so popular and everything that uh, he was able to get a, get away with it a little more. And they couldn't just dismiss him as, oh, you believe this communist and run him out of the country. At least not yet. It's also very funny that he's possibly Jewish and Hitler copied his look. I, I little, little did old Adolf know, you know? <laughs> I don't know how much research Adolf did into a lot of things. Yeah, he maybe, maybe hazard that guy. That might have been the actual reason he offed himself in the bunker. <laughs> he realized. Uh, but this, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this. Monsieur Verdoux. Monsieur Verdoux. Oh, this okay. is an, another controversial uh, film of his. April the 11th, 1947 is the day Charlie Chaplin lets the fuse on the bomb that destroyed his career. That day, he released his movie, Monsieur Verdoux. 
A black comedy featuring Chaplin as a serial killer who marries and murders old ladies for the money, Monsieur Verdoux almost bankrupted United Artists. It led to Charlie Chaplin being blacklisted and nearly indicted by the House Un-American Activities Committee. Today, the film is regarded as a late Chaplin classic, but in 1947, it was the equivalent of watching Mr. Rogers kick a puppy to death while wearing a swastika. <laughs> yeah, so it was... It, it was uh, ahead of its time, and I think some people compared it to, like, uh, Hitchcock work. Um, it was basically, I, it, was a, it was a dark comedy where uh, he's playing a man that is murdering these women. So um, people were very against it at the time, but I think what really uh, hurt him is the press conference that he held where, again... He, you know, um, seemed to be championing a lot of these socialist and communist movements, which, again, I don't give a fuck about. But it was a pretty hot button issue, I think, in uh, the 1930s and 40s. I think they took that stuff pretty seriously back then. Yeah, You know what they didn't take seriously? Oh, well, Craig, I'm guessing you're referring to statutory rape. Yes. Is that it? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> well, this Charlie Chaplin... Um, he was a man who, at the time, they referred to as loving the ladies. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he loved he loved that sweater meat or lack thereof. That Charlie Chaplin. Ladies is uh, strong. Yeah, maybe again, maybe that sweater meat hasn't blossomed yet. But <laughs> um, again, in the movie, you know, they have Robert Downey Jr. approach these young girls, and it happens several t- times throughout the film, and. Uh, She's like, you know, I'm only 16. And he's like, well, what difference does that make? And then they move on. Now, th- that's where I'm like, so the movie's, uh, I believe, was released in 1992. Mm-hmm. And th- that's where I'm like, because you listen to that Chappelle bit uh, when he's talking about R. Kelly, where he says, uh, how old is 15 really? And obviously <laughs> he's joking, but it's something that he would get, get canceled for now. Mm-hmm. But in the early 2000s, it was just a funny bit. So I, I'm left asking myself, like, was it not that creepy what he was doing? Because ba- back he then, jokes about it. Yeah, back then, definitely not. I'm pretty sure people getting married like at that age and shit. I guess. Well, I mean, let's instead of me speculating, let's hear about uh, just exactly what old Chuck was doing. After he was asked to describe his ideal woman, he said, "I am not exactly in love with her, but Pre-bleed. she is entirely in love with me." Charlie Chaplin has made it clear that he never trusted women, and he always feared abandonment, which is why he would jump in jealousy every chance he got. Mm. Okay, that's not so bad so far. Nice, Mormon. That, that's all. That's all related to his mother. That that seems perfectly uh, kosher, as it were. Yeah. Um. Let's see how this next one goes, uh, entitled "Younger Girls." Well, all right. Now we might be taking a turn towards. Um. That's another in the movie. They're like, oh, Charlie, haven't you ever heard of the term jailbait? And he's like, oh, shut up, you whore. And, they, <laughs> and then they do this. <laughs> One of the many rumors about him was his preference for the presence of younger girls in his life. Obviously, these went beyond just friendships, as Charlie Chaplin dated many girls that weren't even 18, while he was twice their age, including two of his wives. The biographer Joyce Milton even claimed that Chaplin was the inspiration behind the main character in Vladimir Nabokov's famous book, Lolita. Charlie spoke of his love for young girls and how there was something so pure in their slimness, in their slender arms and legs. 
This had become a pattern for him. He said he liked dewy 15-year-olds and waited until they were 16 before he married them. Then he'd get bored of them and go around chasing new girls. I mean, if you want to say Charlie Chaplin's influence isn't still seen today, it sounds like he, in a way, made it to Epstein's Island, and we can thank him for Crystalia's career. So I was going to say... Apparent inspiration in a lot of ways. Apparent, I did. That's why I said, "Wow, watch it." I just put two and two together that he's the reason for fucking Epstein's plane name. Yes, well, allegedly, anyways, we don't know exactly if that's exactly where that comes from. But yeah, that's such a gross. But again, he's saying this in public. It's a weird, weird shift in history that I think we've changed for the better. I like wet fifteen-year-olds. Ah, nice and dewy. You know. Like, like a more like a fresh morning rain. Ugh. Um, uh, it continues. Uh, this is him talking. Uh, this is about his worst relationship. Yeah, lest you think we're crucifying a man for his inner thoughts. No, no, he he acted on some of these. His next and most disastrous relationship was with a literal child, the fifteen-year-old <laughs> Lita Gray. She has described the relationship as nothing but revolting and inhumane. Charlie had known her since she was eight when she played in his film The Kid, but he had waited until she was 15 and he was 35 to seduce her. She had also gotten pregnant, and this time it wasn't a false alarm. So Lita's mother threatened to go to the police if Charlie didn't marry her daughter. Of course, Charlie wanted to avoid any jail time that would damage his career, so he agreed to get married. That was when Lita's life went downhill. Lita revealed that he was revolting, degrading, and offensive. She was forced to do things she didn't want to, and he even yelled at her when she refused to listen to him. It even came to the point where he encouraged her to jump out of a train right after their marriage. The exact words Charlie said were, This would be a good time to put an end to your misery. Why don't you jump? His behavior (laughs) became worse after she got pregnant with her second child, and he installed a listening device in their bedroom and also patrolled the house with a gun at night. Finally, Lita decided to put an end to this hell and filed for divorce, accusing him of pulling a gun on her and trying to force her to have an abortion. She also talked about Charlie forcing her to take part in his unnatural desires. Marlon Brando was right to call him the most sadistic man he'd ever met in his autobiography. (laughs) After denying the charges, Charlie finally agreed to a settlement where Lita got $625,000 and a $200,000 trust fund for their two sons, making it the largest divorce settlement at that time. Yeah, uh, (laughs) one of the wives, um, is it Paulette or Pauladette or something? Um, In the the movie, I don't know if this is uh, accurate or not, but in the movie, uh, you know, the author of the, the book that it's based on is talking to him and says, why is it the one wife you speak glowingly of? And he's like, that's the one that didn't take all my money. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess three, three of his divorces, he got fleeced on pretty good. Now that Lita Gray, who we'll hear a little bit from in a minute. Um, she also, I believe, is the wife. It gets a little confusing because there's uh, he was married, I think, four times. The last one stuck for. Um, a, a much longer period of time. I think the first marriage was two years. The next one was like six or something. These uh, these gals didn't stay around too long because of uh, Charlie's wandering eye, among other things. Um, but one of them, you you might notice in that clip, she says uh, this pregnancy stuck. It's because uh, they got married. It was kind of a shotgun wedding situation where Charlie was under the impression that she was pregnant, and it turns out she wasn't. Now, Charlie Chaplin maintained that uh, she duped him into getting married, 
I don't know if that's true. It's possible there was just a, a miscarriage or um, something went wrong. I don't know that to be the case that she necessarily lied. Um, but based on his his belief of her, I guarantee you he died thinking that it was a lie, no matter how true it was. He's like, that bitch conned me into getting married. So, And I'm, I'm guessing that if he set up a trust fund for his kids, he did not see them again. <laughs> uh, yeah, so Charlie wasn't necessarily the greatest dad. Now, I think the younger kids, uh, the kids from the the final marriage, I think he had a slightly better relationship with there. There were eight of them. He had 11 kids in total. Jesus. Um, two from that marriage, obviously one from another and then eight from his, uh, his last marriage. But um, I don't think he was particularly close with those kids. I don't know how uh, great a dad he was, but uh, yeah, I think these women at the very least realized uh, no matter what their intentions were at the beginning, I think towards the end, they realized uh, this guy's a miserable prick who's working all the time. Eh, maybe I can get a few of these bucks. He's the highest grossing actor in history, you say? Yeah. Maybe I can get a taste of that. <laughs> yeah, I think that other girl was actually 18, and this is all just a ploy to make him look bad. There you go, Craig. Yes, we'll take that stance. I was trying to figure Free it out. Charlie! I was trying to figure it out this whole time. I'm like, what's the defense? <laughs> <laughs> he was lying. She's lying. I guess so. I guess the defense is the times have changed because, like I said, in this movie, they're like, uh, he's a dog, isn't he? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I'm the, the, the pussy hound aspect is not what I'm concerned about, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, he had a bit of a wandering eye, is how they frame it in the film. Um, but uh, yeah, so what they did, and they may talk about it here coming up. But basically, uh, people like J. Edgar Hoover, who did not like this dirty commie's ways, was to sell, to use these relationships. And like when one of these girls uh, did get pregnant, um, they were able to use that to be like, hey, you fucked a minor. We're, uh, we're going to get you for that. So these things were publicized. Now, I don't know how much the media buried them for various reasons. Um, but like I said, it was out there. So I'm curious how much people did know while Charlie Chaplin was in the public eye. Like I said, I bet everyone knew, but no one really gave a shit. <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not like today where, you know, every comment on a Charlie Chaplin film is going to be like, you fucking pedophile kid toucher. <laughs> <laughs> um, this next one is about the shooting. Oh yeah, this is uh, yeah. He he lived a a, a wacky life. <laughs> That's how I explain Jerry Sandusky. <laughs> I mean, this guy talk about a comedy of errors. A murderous pedophile. What a wacky fella. <laughs> no 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 murder no murder. There were other scandals in Chaplin's love life too. The 1924 shooting death of producer Thomas Ince on William Randolph Hearst's yacht was rumored to have occurred after Hearst tried to kill Chaplin for seducing his wife. In the heat of the moment, he allegedly shot the wrong man. In a taste of things to come, these many seductions and salacious rumors would later see Chaplin banned from several U.S. states. Yeah, I should have clarified. I meant Charlie didn't murder anyone, but he may have had someone murdered accidentally. Right. <laughs> right, right. So that's... that's that's great. I wasn't, there was a situation like that with the three stooges also where they killed the wrong guy or <laughs> yeah. something like that. It's amazing. Back in the thirties, it's just like you kill the wrong guy. And then it's like, well, Oh, for one, I guess we got to give up now. Call it quits. I'm telling you guys go listen to three stooges episodes. The best episode of this series. I think 
I think this. I think this one's pretty swell as well. Actually, folks. the the best one's the next one. Am I right, Mike? Yes, <laughs> you're darn right. right. Um, but well, scandals continue. Uh, here we are with a paternity test. Oh God, damn it, Charlie! You can't get out of your own way. Stop sticking it in these women. <laughs> In 1944, Charlie Chaplin's personal life again exploded in a mess of seedy allegations, this time for supposedly impregnating and dumping actress Joan Barry. Previously, this kind of thing would have stayed in the tabloids, but emboldened by rising anti-communist feeling in America, the establishment pounced. Chaplin was arrested for immoral purposes under the Mann Act, having allegedly taken Barry across state lines before seducing her. He was eventually acquitted, but the establishment was gunning for his blood. Chaplin was sued by Barry for paternity payments. Despite medical tests that proved he wasn't the father, Barry won the case, and Chaplin was forced to pay out for a child that had been scientifically proven to belong to someone else. What remained of his reputation in America was shredded in the process. Yeah, so today, Charlie Chaplin would have such a different type of fame. I was just thinking he would be a fucking hero. He's a, he's a, fascin- he's a fascinating character and would actually, a- absolutely be a massive social media star. But in the thirties and forties, he was, he was revered with this type of um, kind of highfalutin comedy. He was thought of in like a higher class than um, some of his peers in comedy at that time. Whereas now it would just be like hashtag free Charlie. And he would be just doing, it would be, you know, Depp hurt. This guy would have put Johnny Depp to shame. In his uh, in his love life trials and tribulations, um, <laughs> it was uh, it was quite a wacky time for old Charlie. But he was able to get out of all of this with a pretty a pretty sterling reputation. It was weird. Like I guess his films transcended all this scandal because. You know, we'll get to him uh, being exiled and having to leave the country. But at least as a kid, I don't know what the public sentiment was on him in the late 1940s, let's say. Um, All the way, you know, 50s, 60s, whatever. But we'll get to him being honored in the 70s. And then I, up until just a few years ago, had only ever heard of him referred to as a comedy treasure to the point where even um, there's a Halloween episode of the office where uh, Pam shows up to work as Charlie Chaplin and then realizes no one else dressed up for Halloween. (laughs) And she's like, and I can't even take off my hat because then I'm Hitler. (laughs) And, and, And that's a, it's a fun joke, but it's never mentioned like, well, even as Charlie Chaplin, she's pay she's playing a grooming statutory rapist. <laughs> and murderer. <laughs> no, it was not a murderer, Craig. You've got it wrong. The oh. wrong man was murdered. Uh, it was supposed to be Charlie. Sorry, murderous murderous racketeer then. I, I it was a happy accident. <laughs> I don't think you understood the story. I wonder how he would uh, act it out in a silent film. <laughs> his mustache would twirl. He just put both his hands over his mouth and go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, we actually have Lita. Uh, um, oh yeah, I forgot. Chaplin. We got a little uh, Lita Gray here. So it's said that she w- was left with um, almost a million bucks. Yeah. So may- I guess that's my point. Is maybe that maybe the, uh, the 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 cash dabbing her tears made her think differently. Because this interview didn't seem like um, complete hatred of Charlie Chaplin necessarily. 
he was very taken with me. He had his cameraman photograph me in the position of the famous painting, The Age of Innocence. He thought that I resembled that little girl in the oil painting. Oh, stop saying little girl. <laughs> so it's any it's uh, it's anybody's question as to whether he was taken with me really when I was real younger, even than sixteen. Yeah, she's like, who knows? I mean, maybe maybe it wasn't attracted to me until I was older. <laughs> it was a different time, damn it. <laughs> even she's defending this creep. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they like that's how it was though. Like they would get married at like 15, 16 back then and none of the parents really gave a shit. <laughs> I guess there wasn't as much of a stigma. It's still it seems so weird to me, but yeah, I guess it was a, a different time. I don't understand it. Because he was a genius and geniuses do and think. <laughs> he can read odd me. <laughs> things as compared to other people so we'll never know mom i was raped but was he a genius yeah well, he did it in such a masterful way <laughs> he 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 molested me in a way he didn't even have to use words he was able to convey that i was being raped without sound it was truly genius no talkies <laughs> i think he's right talkies are a fad <laughs> we don't need them <laughs> just more money going out with the Edsel. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. So that's it. That's his controversies with women. His, you know, <laughs> his work was able to exceed that. My, the, my diagnosis, Dr. Geary's diagnosis of this <laughs> is that people just didn't care as much about women in the thirties and forties. For that sure. Seems to be, that seems to be the open and shut verdict here. <laughs> For sure. Like I'm stunned that on the Titanic, it was women and children first and not men and children just right, right. being back in that time period. Are there any geniuses on board? <laughs> 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 There's a guy grabbing some chick's ass right here. <laughs> Uh, more on communism by this bald guy with glasses. Okay, so this is where, like I said, uh, no one cared that Charlie was having his way with all these ladies, but people like J. Edgar Hoover and the powers that be were able to use it to their advantage. Um, so he took a trip out of the country, and then uh, when he was on his way back, they said, not so fast, Chucky. <laughs> Cold War paranoia grew, questions were raised in the press about Chaplin's failure to become a U.S. citizen. Many wanted to see the comedic genius deported, including a congressman from Mississippi who declared in June 1947, his very life in Hollywood is detrimental to the moral fabric of America. If he is deported, his loathsome pictures can be kept from before the eyes of the American youth. He should be deported and gotten rid of at once. The final straw it came when Charlie and his family were in London for the premiere of his latest film, Limelight. When he was crossing the Atlantic on his way to Europe, U.S. Attorney General James McGranary revoked Chaplin's re-entry permit. McGranary stated that if Chaplin wanted to return to the U.S., he must agree to an interview concerning his political views and his personal life. Chaplin had had enough of McCarthyism. Privately, he had remarked, Whether I re-enter that unhappy country or not was of little consequence to me. I would like to have told them that the sooner I was rid of that hate-beleaguered atmosphere, the better, that I was fed up of America's insults and moral pomposity. The, the, the political stuff is wild to me. A, because molesting everyone all over town. <laughs> but, but, but more so because... Um, you know, we make we make jokes now when you talk about like censorship on different platforms and um, you know public opinion and people going after you on social media and all that. The joke is made particularly about like the 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 right being um, 
dealing with that sort of stuff, dealing with being silenced and things like that. But it's nothing compared <laughs> to what was going on back then where literally they're like, oh, you never got your citizenship? You must be a communist. <laughs> and then my answer to that would be like, who cares if I am? It's like, well, we care, buddy. And you're not getting back in the country. So <laughs> pound sand. Yeah. Who cares if you're a national treasure? It'd be nice if we could still do that to commies. That'd be sweet. Well, that's my point, Craig. That's a slippery slope. You start doing it to them, then they do it to your, <laughs> you, you, you right wing. Could you imagine, imagine being like, uh, yeah, your political views don't align with mine. You can't come in this country. <laughs> One day Ben Shapiro just can't fly back into the <laughs> into the states. <laughs> this, yeah, this is a travesty. <laughs> uh. so, um, yeah, so I mean, it's pretty wild. Like I said, we we talk about um, being the victims of different kinds of uh, censorship, but it's nothing compared to what these guys dealt with back in the day. Whether it's uh, Lenny Bruce being arrested or people like Lucille Ball and Charlie Chaplin um, dealing with, you know losing their citizen. Well, Charlie Chaplin wasn't a citizen, but you know what I mean? Um, losing their uh, residency here and their ability to work here because of your speculative political beliefs. You know, he wasn't even necessarily open about it as much as he may have uh, insinuated it. It's also crazy too. Cause he had 11 anchor babies and he still wasn't allowed back. No, 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 not yet. Craig, because he's not off to Switzerland. Oh, right, right, right. Uh, but yes. uh, this next clip is actually him speaking in America, his first time back. Yeah, so I'll just give you a little... That's where he had to, he had to flee to uh, Switzerland because, of, uh, because he wasn't allowed back in the country, essentially. And um, was basically exiled. He couldn't get his visa renewed, is essentially what it boiled down to, because like I said, he wasn't a citizen. Um, so he found, you know... He found a new life in Switzerland. Uh, I, he was still creating things out there um, and writing and things like that. But this marriage took. Now, I don't know. Uh, maybe his, his libido was down by the time he was, <laughs> <laughs> you know, by the time he hit his, uh, he hit his 50s. Uh, 30 didn't seem so old to him, maybe. Who knows? But, um Yes, all of his wives were uh, very young when they met. Him. That's again the weird thing about the movie is like one a, a girl that he meets is like, uh, "Oh, I'm 21, way too old for you." And it's like everyone's just joking about it. <laughs> <laughs> they just laugh. <laughs> yeah, but um, oh, uh, another thing is um, the woman who plays his mother is. God, I'm forgetting her first name now. Um, Charlie Chaplin's daughter plays his mother in the movie. Um, really? I want to. I, I know it's not this, but I keep thinking Grenadine. <laughs> it's certainly not her name, but it's something like that. <laughs> uh, Geraldine. Geraldine, yes, Grenadine. <laughs> um, yeah, Geraldine uh, Chaplin plays Charlie's mother in uh, the movie when they flash back to um, points where uh, she was in his life. That's kind of cool, though. I like that. Yeah, and it made me think. I wonder if that part of the family had as bad a relationship as uh, some of the others, because I, I think Michael Chaplin had some sca a, a scathing review of his father. You know, <laughs> yeah. In the movie, is there outtakes of this girl just going, "You're a fucking loser, piece of shit, asshole"? It just starts going <laughs> off, and like, yeah, we can't use that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a that's a weird thing where the she's playing her own grandmother. It's kind of interesting. Yeah, I like that. Uh, all right, so this is Charlie, what, talking about the word genius? Uh, I believe so. All right, 
notes here, but. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, I'm sorry. No, 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 it's not. This is, um, this is him at the, uh, being honored by the Academy in 1972. So after 20 some odd years of exile, um, he was finally welcomed back with open arms. He finally got a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And they said, hey, kid toucher or not, we've forgiven the communists. The past so is the past. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, we, we, we got the best of them, those dirty communists, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, but if you're listening, the echo goes away in about four seconds. Yes. Oh, thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. An emotional moment for me. And words seem so futile, so feeble. I can only say that thank you for the honor of, of inviting me here. And oh, you're wonderful, sweet people. Thank you. I mean, you know, you're a little uh, prude when, you, when it comes to sexual proclivities. But other than that, you guys seem like pretty lovely <laughs> people. You guys don't party. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I wanted more clips of Charlie talking. But we, um, he wasn't a but, talkie. Uh, it, yeah, there was a, a lot of his work there, that, that didn't exist. Um, but also he in, in the interviews that I found of him, he would speak very specifically about the work he was doing. He didn't speak in general terms a lot, which I would have liked. In fact, I'd like to just watch it on my own. So if anyone knows, uh, maybe I missed them. If I could find some of those more in-depth Chaplin interviews, if they exist, I'd like to. But it didn't seem like there was a ton out there. Was that the last clip? Uh, we have one last one, the genius one. Okay, yeah. So this is this is him talking about being called a genius. I think he makes some, uh, some good points here. You know, that's a much abused term, genius, isn't it? In, we have many of them in Hollywood, and uh, <laughs> I don't quite know the definition of a genius. Some people say it's the capacity for uh, taking pains and so forth, etc. And all those hackneyed things have been said. But I think genius, I think it's the uh, a genius is an individual stylist who does things remarkably well, or conscientiously, <laughs> or remarkably well. I would say, but uh, but uh, I don't count. I, I I think all those sort of terms are. Not particularly important. Uh, the thing is, uh, what the public want to see is a good job, and we try to do our best. And I must say that I've never written down to the public in my life. I, I always believe that anything I, it's, it's the best that my particular shaped head knows how to do, and, and I always aspire to do the best I can for the public. Yeah, so he's trying to be humble there, but if you go by that definition, he truly is a genius because he is the best to do that. If you're talking about one stylized thing, he's the best to ever do it. So in those terms, he is a genius. I also agree with him that I think it's thrown out too much, you know, where you're just a guy you like, you're like, oh, Daniel Tosh is a genius. And it's like, I think he's tremendously funny, but I don't know. Is he a genius? Uh, that's That feels strong. It gets thrown out a lot now. Yeah, he also uh, figured out how to avoid getting arrested for pedophilia, so he's pretty smart. That is genius, my friend. Pure, Bravo. Pure <laughs> genius. <laughs> well, tip of the cap to you, Chuck. I, I wish um, uh, Shauna, Ray, Shauna Ray is like 60 years past her prime. She'd be in a, a silent film with him. 
<laughs> um, a couple other notes I forgot to mention throughout the episode that I just thought were interesting. Side notes. Um, they say that you can thank uh, Charlie Chaplin for the existence of Disney because uh, at a period where Walt Disney was struggling, um, he wasn't sure if he should release Sleeping Beauty and Charlie Chaplin advised him to. Maybe he liked the idea of an incapacitated <laughs> woman being, you know, brought to life through sexuality. Uh, I don't know his reasons, but uh, I guess he did help out with uh, Disney being as successful as it was. So this, this movie is about a girl who gets molested back to life. Ah, interesting. <laughs> How old is she? Release it. 15. Perfect. Um, uh, they, it made headline news when um, they found, so obviously because all of his stuff was in black and white. Literally someone opened their newspaper one morning and read the headline, Charlie Chaplin has blue eyes. So that's the type of interest people had in him and the type of celebrity he was that people were like, holy shit, I guess he's got blue eyes. Who knew? Mom, <laughs> guess what? And, um, and and the other one I meant to, yeah, wake up. <laughs> the, uh, the other one I meant to mention is um, he entered a uh, Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest and did not win, which is speaks more to the character that he created because I mean, you know, in the 1920s and thirties um, high def technology, it wasn't what it was today. Let's say. Um, so maybe people didn't have every, uh, uh, you know, exact look down of his, but he was such an iconic character that people were able to master his outfit and his just general look even better than he was. So I think that speaks to, I mean, of course it speaks to the you know, lack of crispness in some of the camera quality, but I think more so it's what an iconic character he was that other people showed up to some lookalike contest in San Francisco, I think it was, and beat him at looking like himself. That's pretty funny. Did he come out and say it was him? Uh, yes. <laughs> I don't know if he did at the event or not, but... That's very funny. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think that's it. That's all we have, right, for uh, old Charlie Chaplin? That's it. Um, yeah, and he died, you know, he died in the 70s. Clean slate. No one had a problem with it. Robert Downey Jr. stars in a movie of his. It gets nominated for an Oscar. Oh, one other thing I wanted to say about him that I think is very true of film in general is that he realized the importance, and I think they mentioned it in one of the clips we played, he realized the importance of music in film where you can have like a great script and everything, but sometimes with a garbage soundtrack, soundtrack or a soundtrack that doesn't match what the tone of the movie should be, or doesn't make you feel exactly what you should be feeling. Um, then, then the movie's nothing. And Charlie Chaplin was a guy who realized that. So he gets a lot of credit for his, uh, composing work as well. That's right. Um, but yeah, um, the guy made it out scot-free. You gotta, you gotta tip your cap, you know, guys like Chris D'Elia must look at him and think if only I could be a legend if I just lived in the same time that Charlie Chaplin did. Charlie just didn't have to deal with Snapchat. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, try that, Charlie. I mean, you wouldn't know that you could screen record. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, I uh, hope you guys enjoyed this episode. To those of you that stuck through and are listening right now, tell the folks that um, if they skip episodes like this, basically anywhere we dive back into the black and white era, uh, they're worth going back to check out. I think they're very interesting. I think these are some of the most fascinating characters. By far, they always have some sort of crazy scandal, but no well, one gave a shit. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because 
you don't have, you know, social media and things like that. And I don't even say this in a negative way. Like we just made the joke about Chris D'Elia. These things do police humanity in a weird way. Right. Where it's like, you know, there are certain things now you'll never get away with. Whereas right. in 1920, let's roll the dice, baby. Who cares? No one's looking. They don't have a pocket camera. So so these guys are some of the most uh, fascinating characters for um, various reasons. So I hope you enjoy the old school episodes and we'll do more. We'll definitely do uh, people have asked for Laurel and Hardy and Abbott and Costello and the Marx brothers. Um, so we'll definitely do those at some point as well. And um, send me any suggestions you want. And uh, I'll add those to the list if I feel they deserve to make the cut. If you want bonus episodes, make sure you hit the Patreon and you can find the link for that at blindmike.net. Blindmike.net is also where you can find all the free links to the show, Apple, Spotify, and what have you. Subscribe to the YouTube. YouTube's been cooking the last few months, so let's keep that going, if you wouldn't mind. Tap that bell for notifications. In fact, if you're watching right now, it means you like this program, obviously. You made it through the whole episode. So why not just subscribe and tap the notification bell? Then you know whenever we go live, whenever we have um, episodes dropping, whenever we have shorts go up, all that good stuff. Um, you can also check out very good show. If, uh, believe me, if you like some of the sexual proclivities, of Charlie <laughs> Chaplin, then check out the debauchery that goes on, on very good show. Go to uh, verygoodshow.org and, uh, listen to the show for free. And then if you like it, subscribe to the Patreon, support the boys. Try it out. Sound? Give it a, give it a go. See what you, see what you do with it. I don't fucking know. Anything else we should, uh, let the people know before we get out of here. Um, that we appreciate Let's not spend all day on us. We appreciate them greatly. I appreciate you greatly. Now we'll talk to you guys next time on Why Are You Laughing? Zip it up and zip it out. Yeah.